This is Christopher Radiant Fire Radio, and I have a very special guest with me, Richard Capriola. He's the author of The Addicted Child. He has a lot of insights that he's going to share with us today that is going to help you as a parent, a step-parent, meet the needs of your kids. Mr. Capriola, thanks for joining us. You're very welcome. I appreciate you having me and taking the time to talk to me about this important topic. Thank you. So how did you get into this topic itself? Um, Well, I started out in education, transitioned over to working in mental health at a crisis center. Wow. And and then uh, uh, I I noticed that a lot of people coming into the crisis center had both a mental health and a substance abuse issue. So I went back to uh, get some education and training on uh, substance abuse and then uh, was offered a position at Menninger Clinic in Houston, Texas, which is a large psychiatric hospital where oh, wow. I worked, worked for over a decade um, uh, with both adults and adolescents who have both a mental health and a substance abuse issue. And I met with lots of parents during that time and, and, um, I, I wanted, after I left Menninger, I wanted to provide a brief resource that would give them the basic information in a very short, concise book that they could read uh, and, and, and walk away from thinking that, you know, they understand this topic a little better. They're not as afraid of it as maybe they were before. And if they're confronted with it, they feel better prepared and more confident to deal with it. And I, I, I kept it short. It's only about 107 pages because you know, I know parents don't have a lot of time to sit down and read a lot. So I wanted to make it uh, something they could read very quickly. You know, when you're when you're dealing with uh, step stepchildren, step families, and and even you know regular families, this is a problem that is often swept up under the rug because it has some level of embarrassment to it. Yeah. And I found that, you know, I'm also also a, a volunteer in my church. When trying to help other parents, there's they feel a sense of shame and degradation because of what their child has gotten into. And it really has nothing to do with that. When you're looking at substance abuses, where do you see some of the things that where they start getting into this. Is it is it the common thought of peer pressure or is it genetics? What have you found in your research? It, it, it's a lot of different reasons. Um, a different different things attract uh, different kids. Um, you know, some of them are attracted to a substance because of of the peers that they're with, or maybe peer pressure. Uh, some of it just as an experimentation to see how it how it reacts, and if they have a good good reaction, a good feeling, they they uh, they may they may continue to use the substance. In some cases, not all cases, but in some cases, I found that a teenager is using a substance to medicate some some underlying issue like anxiety or depression or maybe some type of trauma, maybe being bullied at school that the parents knew nothing about. Mm-hmm. A lot of the teenagers that I worked with who were smoking marijuana, for example, when I asked them to help me understand why they were smoking the drug, uh, the answer that came back many times was it helps me with my anxiety. So for some kids, and certainly not 
all kids, but for some kids, there's an underlying uh, emotional issue that they're using a drug or alcohol to medicate. In other cases, it might be peer pressure, it might be peer influences, it might be just experimentation. That's interesting that you would say that they would um, offer up that they felt anxiety. Yeah. Um, are you finding that more kids now are receiving counseling to be able to have words for these types of feelings? Because it, it doesn't seem like I'm trying to. It doesn't seem like that those words would be natural to adolescents. Yeah, in, in many cases, that's true, uh, and, and, and it's and it's a process of sort of helping them, you know, describe what they're feeling. In, in words that we can relate to. So they may not use the term anxiety, right. but they may be able to give us examples of how they're feeling in certain situations. And then we can relate to, oh, that's anxiety or that's depression. So they may not know the technical words, but they know the feelings that they're experiencing. Yeah, and I, I find that, you know, the internet has been a resource and our kids are using the internet more. So they are trying to find out why they feel the way that they do. And it's, it's interesting that you, you know, you use that word anxiety. I think sometimes kids can relate to depression where before it was a stigma. You, you would never say you were depressed, you know, yeah, yeah. now kids today are more readily able to share or express that type of emotion. Not that they're able to get help for it because sometimes, you know, the parents or the adults are just not paying attention yeah, things that are going on. That's very true. Sometimes um, you know, the parents uh, are, are are surprised by this. I, I I would sit across from parents and I would go through their child's history of using a substance, and I would give them the diagnosis of a substance use disorder. And after hearing all of the information, sometimes they would look across at me and they would say, I had no idea this was going on. Wow. Or if they did suspect their child was, if they did suspect their child was using a substance, they might say, well, I knew something was going on, but I didn't know it was this bad. Wow. Um, you know, and, and they're good parents. I mean, they're good parents. It's just that they felt so bad about how they missed everything. And, and then they start to, they start to really feel bad about themselves, question what kind of parents they are. And, you know, this is a complicated issue and teenagers are very clever. It's not, not all that unusual that they can sort of, you know, hide all of this from their parents for, for quite a while. It's interesting that you use that word hide because in our family, our extended family, a couple of our cousins, you know, one of them was 14 years old and they found her in a drug house. And they were like, we didn't even know you were doing these types of things. Yeah. And, you know, because of, you know, the history and the background of the family, super, super religious, um, they did have some, you know, some deaths in the family and things like that. And they were just trying to, figure out how did how did this happen yeah can you, you use the term earlier about um substance abuse disorder yeah what is that well it is it is um we used to call it abuse and dependency 
That's how well, we would diagnose people. Somebody, some of them were abusing them. Some of them were dependent on it, which means they needed more and more of the substance as time went on. Uh, but we got away from that, and we now diagnose it as a substance use disorder, recognizing it's a disorder like any other disorder, like anxiety or depression. And it can be either mild, moderate, or severe. And, and how we determine that is based upon how disruptive the substance has become in the person's life. How many negative characteristics are we seeing? Is it affecting a person's life in maybe only one or two areas? Or is it affecting a person's life in four, five, six, seven, eight different areas? And obviously, the more disruptive a drug is in that person's life, the more negative consequences it's causing, the more likely the person is to move up from mild to moderate to severe. Wow. How important is the, uh, the education community uh, involved with this and also the, uh, you know, hospitals and your, your primary care doctors in helping with this, get this identified and even treated? Well, I don't think the schools are very helpful. Uh, I don't think they place enough emphasis, uh, especially during the early grades, on educating children about uh, the brain and how vulnerable the brain is uh, during adolescence and, and the need to protect the brain and how these drugs can interfere with the developing brain. Uh, I think we could do a better job of beginning that education in elementary grades and then reinforcing forcing it every year through high school so that as kids go through school, they're beginning to get an understanding, not just that drugs are bad and you should stay away from it because they don't, they don't care about that stuff. They don't listen to it. Right. But if we can focus on the education, the neuroscience and help them get an appreciation for the fact that their brain is developing and very vulnerable and the need to protect that brain. And if we begin that very early ages and, and continue to reinforce enforce it. I think we could make a difference in some of these kids. That's interesting. And, you know, again, with having to deal with different people, you know, counseling and, and trying to help them seek help. One of the most common things that they say about marijuana is it doesn't do any damage to your brain. It, it, and I've seen studies where the long-term effects are you lose your memory, you lose your short-term memory, and you, you lose some of your long-term memory. That's oh. that's that's exactly right. I, you know, like I, I've I've dealt with a number of teenagers that were smoking marijuana, um, and they were they were smoking multiple times a day, and. Um, and these were very bright young men and women. Their IQs were uh, above average. Uh, but when the psychological test came back on these children, what I noticed was that the processing speed of the brain was below average. Their wow. short-term short memory was impaired and, and, and the motivation was, was very low. Now, was all of this because of marijuana? No, probably not. But was marijuana contributing to it? Yeah, I think it probably was. Yeah. So, you know, we have to recognize that in adolescence, their brain is very vulnerable. Their brain is still developing and forming these, these important uh, pathways that, that they're going to need as an adult. So when we start to introduce 
introduce a substance like marijuana or any other drug into a developing adolescent brain, we run the risk of doing some damage. Now, we may not see that damage right away, but, uh, but it's, under, it's under the surface and, and, may, and may be affecting that child's ability to, to perform. Wow. This concludes part one of the Addicted Child Parents Guide with Richard Capiola. Come back next week for part two. We are committed to excellence and truth. We're committed to bringing the whole gospel to you as we go forth in this endeavor in this hour. We pray that God would be with you. His prophetic mantle and his prophetic anointing would be upon your life. Please feel free to contact us at any time with questions, comments, or concerns. You can reach us at Christopher at RadiantFire.org. Like us on Facebook, Radiant Fire Radio Ministries. And you can subscribe to our YouTube page, Radiant Fire Radio Ministries, on YouTube.